According to a study from the National Library of Medicine, researchers have detected all sorts of drugs in the drinking water. Antibiotics, antidepressants, contraceptives, endocrine disruptors. All of these have been shown to seriously mess with the hormones in fish, decreasing fertility, and even causing sex changes. And if you were to drink two liters of water a day for 70 years, at the end of those 70 years, you would have taken 1% of the normal daily dose of someone taking that prescribed medication. Is it worth the risk? I'll let you decide that the next time you turn on the tap in your kitchen. It's the Palmetto Family Matters Show. the monday edition of the program happy monday happy president's day don't look for your mail to run today it's monday february 19th in the year of our lord 2024 justin hall mitch prosser here with you i don't know what to take from that study um about the medicine is what i mean the larger thing is um because contraceptives are so widely available there you know what for what it's worth endocrine disruptors are in a lot of different things and it might be worth noting that a lot of the products you use actually contain great amounts of endocrine disruptors, which tells me that they're trying to quell reproduction in the population. That's just me. And Alex Jones. Hey, I'm not I, saying it's wanna... turning the freaking frogs gay. I'm just saying that population he control is that. a thing. And, I, and I'm not trying to be dismissive with what I'm saying here about taking your chances. But to be honest with you, when you read that, uh, we had to do a couple takes of that, uh, to be honest with those of you listening, because I snickered the first time I heard it. You're telling me if I drink two liters of water a day, which for most of you listening, good luck. Uh, that's uh, I try to drink a gallon a day. A gallon a day is about three four. liters, four three, liters, almost four. Yeah, okay. I think because you know if Nate Bargazzi was right about anything, it's that we will flee the tyranny of mm-hmm. you know the metric system, right? Um, I because the conversion just you know I know there's three point eight liters per gallon. Uh, we rounded up to four when okay. I was a kid. Cool deal. Um, if I drink half a gallon of water today. Mm-hmm. And what if you drink a full th- gallon of water a day? Ooh, then you're 35 years, yep. 35 years. No, yeah, we, we just cut it 35. In half. Yeah. If I drink a full gallon of water a day when I am 72 years old, mm-hmm. I will have ingested 1% of the normal daily dose of the normal daily dose each day. Yep. Each day mm-hmm. of anxiety medications and contraceptives, antidepressants, steroids, Ooh, which contain endocrine disruptors. Which I'm, my muscles will be a little bit bigger when I'm 72. No, well, no. The argument, the argument. Would I'm not be, trying to be flippant. Sure, I, it is I, mildly humorous. I think the certainly the argument though is that there are trace amounts of drugs in our water systems, and that does that does create problems. What about when we intentionally introduce like uh, was it fluoride? Mm-hmm. When they were intent, they. <laughs> these guys with buckets in the middle of the night true um and they're standing over these you know vats and mm-hmm. some abandoned Pouring warehouse where in. all of your water goes or you know yeah the dentist recommendations i think it was the ada mm-hmm. put put fluoride in your drinking water to improve kids teeth and then they're like oh wait kids teeth are rotting because they're getting too much fluoride there's fluoride and baking soda in your toothpaste mm-hmm. So what happens, like, what about breathing air? I mean, I don't know if this is transmitted that way. I mean, I don't know. I've got a, I've got a, um, I'm going around left, I'm going to play in left field for just a second. Okay. I've got an armadillo in my neighborhood, and he's not going to be there much longer once I see him again, because um, they carry Hansen's disease. Do you know what Hansen's disease is? Leprosy. Yes, correct. Old, good old, did I have already talked about this? Mm-hmm. Good old school uh, biblical leprosy, right? But I learned that it's aerosolized. In other words, like I don't know if a I don't know if a armadillo sneezes, but when he does, but if he does, and like his saliva can contain that leprosy, it's not like straight contact. It can be through the air, right. miniature droplets. So not only am I running now with wear a, a mask, face mask, I was like, hey, um, there's probably a vaccine a ski, for that. A ski, uh, there's a vaccine for Hanson's disease. I would assume. It's not a, it's not a N95. It's a ski mask. Just mainly so people don't see my face. Correct. Um, I'm uncomfortable about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, black, are, so are my neighbors. It's black history month. 
And because it's Black History Month in February, Newsweek had a an article idolizing one of our great Americans for Black History Month. Booker T. Washington. Oh, sorry. They weren't idolizing them. I'm sorry. I read it wrong. I thought it said Clarence Thomas is a black hero. Sorry. The opinion piece says Clarence Thomas is not a black hero. He's an enemy of black people. Oh, him and uh, Uncle Tim. I mean, Tim Scott. Throughout Black History Month, this is written by Amisha Cross. Uh, She's a political contributor on WVON 1690 and Sirius XM. Throughout Black History Month, we recall the achievements of black Americans. These include the champions of the civil rights movement, monumental leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Ella Baker, or the first black Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. Marshall fought for civil rights long before assuming his rightful position in the highest court. He led the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and was known for fighting segregation in schools, culminating in the landmark Brown v. Board of Education decision. That type of legacy is deserving of the utmost regard and respect during Black History Month and every other day, and it stands in stark contrast to his successor on the court, Justice Clarence Thomas. Thomas was nominated by Republican President George H.W. Bush. Oh, there we go. It's a Republican nominee. There we go. He's a Republican nominee, therefore he must be conservative, therefore he must be evil. And he has served on the highest court since 1991. But he is no Thurgood Marshall, where Marshall fought tooth and nail to upend uh, threats to equity. I don't think Thurgood Marshall ever tried to upend threats to equity, maybe equality. Civil rights and justice, Thomas fights to take America back. He fights against the working class and minorities. How? He's a judge. Finding unique ways to fight against the black community he hails from. It's why black Americans shouldn't celebrate Justice Thomas during Black History Month. He simply doesn't deserve it. Before becoming a justice, Thomas worked on the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission during the Reagan administration, another Republican. While there, he fought the use of class action lawsuits to enforce workplace discrimination laws. And he's also he also had a tumultuous confirmation hearing. Because, you know, Anita Hill claimed that he'd sexually harassed her and there was no basis to the claim. And, they nearly borked Thomas. And and ten and plenty of people who worked with Thomas beforehand said, no, this did not happen. But a black woman with credible claims of abuse in 1991 wasn't believed any more than the majority of black women who were systematically erased from the Me Too movement. Whoa. Well, that's a, that's a sentence rife with issues. Thomas escaped accountability. The gift he gave black America in return was aiding and abetting white supremacy while cloaked in a judicial robe. Take the fight to access to the ballot. One blacks have fought for for generations. From not having the right to vote at all, to poll taxes, literacy tests, gerrymandering, redistricting, and voter intimidation. You name it, black voters faced it. I agree with that statement. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore, except for the gerrymandering thing. But in 2013, Thomas voted with the majority in the Shelby County versus Holder case to gut the Voting Rights Act, the writer claims, arguing racism in voting no longer existed and that enough progress had been made that the pre-clearance standard was no longer needed. This action and misguided ruling allowed southern states in particular to advance rapid-fire voter ID laws. Are voter ID laws racist? The idea being that in order to vote, you need an ID. That ID could be a driver's license. But you can't expect everybody to get an ID, right? But if you if if you're you in order to drive legally in the United States, you have to have a license, a driver's license, and that driver's license has to be on your person when you're driving. In order to purchase alcohol from a store, in order to get tickets from a baseball game, cigarettes, cigarettes, tattoos. Health insurance, um, buy a phone, buy a phone. I don't know, and this is a legitimate question. I don't think you know the answer. If okay. you go to a restaurant mm-hmm. and you consume alcohol at a restaurant, do they check your? They have. If you order alcohol at any establishment, they usually have to check your. They're supposed to card you, okay. whether you consume in the restaurant or whether you buy it. Yeah, They're, which has been uh, hot topic. I mean, they're lately. supposed to. Um, that's interesting. So naturally, needing. I'm going to just say it this way. Needing a, needing an ID to vote is racist because those 
and I'm and I'm just saying it. Those minorities aren't smart enough to go get an ID. That's literally the argument, and it makes no sense. Like Kamala Harris says, there's not a Kinkos nearby. What? Well, yeah. But Thomas's most egregious judicial take runs in stark contrast to Thurgood Marshall's legacy, where Marshall fought for equity in education. He didn't. He didn't fight for equity. He fought for equality. And by the way, he didn't fight for it. He just read the Constitution. Thomas seeks to reinstate it by opposing affirmative action. Opposition to affirmative action means that uh, you are a white supremacist. I, I got, I got nothing here. So, why the animosity with with Clarence Thomas? Why is Clarence Thomas the the poster child of white supremacy on the court? Why is it not Brett Kavanaugh or Samuel Neil Alito, Gorsuch, or Neil Gorsuch, or Chief Justice John Roberts, or? Amy Coney Barrett. Why is it Clarence Thomas? Mm. Well, I would like to believe, and again, I don't always agree with Candace Owens on, on, on everything, or really much of anything lately, but she makes a great point that, for the most part, leftists believe that African Americans should always be leftists. Because they play identity politics. And that if you, you know, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote a president here. Remember, remember when Donald Trump said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black? You remember that? Yeah, kinda, but um, it wasn't. Did the I get sitting, that wrong? It wasn't the sitting president. It was a presidential candidate at the oh, time. Oh, who was that? Future president of the United States, number forty-six, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. the third, sworn enemy of corn pop. Ah, well, that's the thing. And and Candace Owens talks about wanting to keep people on the plantation, and I and I won't I won't drive into that language necessarily. Um, but I do believe there is a there is a furor. Against uh, against Clarence Thomas, and it and it stretches into what used to be late night comedy. Um, if you remember, and I, and I don't remember because I was I was born after. I'm trying to remember when Johnny Carson's last show was. I think I was early nineties. I think I was born after Carson's last show. I think I always grew up with Leno. The point is, late night television used to be funny. It used to be. It used to be. Yeah, it used to be. In a, they would make fun of politics, sure, but it was equal opportunity, Absolutely. and then they would just talk about other stuff. They would bring on, um, you know, Don Rickles or Burt Reynolds or Frank Sinatra or whatever, and it would just be good television. Johnny Carson was appointment television viewing in the late mm -hmm. night hours, and for what it's worth, Letterman was as well. So was Leno, Leno was as well, and then this next iteration of the Jimmys Conan, took over. Conan was even. Conan still is, but he's taken even more of a vociferous turn. Yeah. The Jimmys are really what did it. So, so Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Steve Colbert, and John Oliver are your main four. Yeah. Um, and now John Stewart's back -ish. for one night only on the Daily Show. Um, they are insufferable and not funny. Well, Jimmy Kimmel, I'm sorry, Jimmy Fallon started off. In a Letterman-like way with the prop humor, we're going to do these goofy skits. And, and stuff. the Carson. Carson used to do the same oh, stuff. It, and it was, yeah, with Carson. It, it was funny, and then it got overtly political to the point that I think they ran a study of late-night TV hosts, and 97% of the political jokes were directed at Donald Trump. Correct. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. Well, John Oliver has turned his attention to uh, Clarence Thomas. No kidding. And we will... We didn't we didn't censor the president last week because he said a salty word, but I believed it needed to be included. John Oliver says a salty word or two here, and it will be uh, edited and censored. So here's John Oliver closing out his show this weekend, um, offering Clarence Thomas quite the deal. Now, from stripping away women's rights to sixth cases you definitely shouldn't be hearing to potentially helping roll back decades of federal regulations and you deserve a break you know away from the meanness of washington so you can be surrounded by the regular folks whose lives you've made demonstrably worse for decades now and the good news is i think we can help you there because since your favorite mode of travel might be in need of an upgrade we are excited to offer you Brand new, top-of-the-line, Prevo Marathon motor coach. Look at this beauty, Clarence. 
It's worth $2.4 million. And it's got a full bedroom. Yes, that is a king bed. One and a half baths, a fireplace, four TVs, a washer dryer, and, and I quote, a residential-sized fridge. And if you're thinking, what will my friends say if I take this offer? Will they judge me as they sit in their boardrooms and mega yachts and Hitler shrines? Will they still treat me to luxury vacations and sing songs about me off their phones? Well, that's the beauty of friendship, Clarence. If they're real friends, they'll love you no matter what your job is. So I guess this might be the perfect way to find out who your real friends actually are. So that's the offer. A million dollars a year, Clarence, and a brand new condo on wheels. And all you have to do in return is sign the contract and get the f*** off the Supreme Court. Talk it over with your totally best friend in the whole world. Because the clock starts now. 30 days, Clarence. Let's do this. (laughs) I love it. I love it when British people wade into American politics, number one. We kicked their butts twice. Yeah, and if not for us, they'd be speaking German right now. I I would say that um, Mr. Oliver is trying to be funny uh, because it's, you know, Clarence Thomas takes bribes and he miscarriages justice. How has he made life worse for Americans? Honestly, I I am so tired of hearing people say, the quality of life in America is terrible. No, it's not. Have you been anywhere else? I truly believe that these people have been nowhere else. Now, I have been out of the country once. Once. Just once. And I went to the only democracy in the Middle East that has that has a very good quality of life, I would say. I believe Israel has a very good quality of life unless terrorists are bombing them. However, there are parts of Israel that are not great. <laughs> the living conditions are not great. Turns out, those are mainly the Palestinian-controlled areas. That's neither here nor there. There are parts of Israel that are not great. You cannot tell me that a single Supreme Court justice, a Supreme Court justice, has made life terrible for American citizens. I'm sorry, you you can't. So it's a false basis there to begin with. And... and, it's, it's trying to be funny. Oh, you've done this before with other people, so why don't you take this deal with me and get off the Supreme Court? And that, you know, I just... If this were people going after Clarence Thomas if he were a Democrat, or, excuse me, sorry, a, a leftist, I don't believe this kind of stuff would be happening. It's extremely disrespectful, too, by the way. Just extremely disrespectful. And in Black History Month of all months. Yeah, once again, beautiful display on identity politics. Um, You know, for those in the conservative movement, there there are some times where it's best just to sit quietly and let the leftists, those not classic liberals, but those progressive crazies like Mr. Oliver, um, I hope I'm not misgendering him, I don't think um, you are. Just let them speak. Uh, you know, we're going to cover presidents here in just a minute. Mm-hmm. I love one of my favorite lines from Lincoln was, "It is far better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt." Um, in this case, just let John Oliver talk. He'll not only tell you how out of touch he is with reality, but how foolish his heart and mind truly are. We move on to a story in the Economist. And sometimes a title tells you everything you need to know. You don't even have to read the article? Cousin marriage is probably fine in most cases. Oh, boy. <laughs> Welcome to, uh, no offense to Stephanie Smith, our our friend down in Alabama. Are we, are we talking Alabama here? Mm-mm. Oh. Mm-mm. Okay. I'm talking Kentucky. We're going to, th- uh, we talked about throuples on We talked about throuples and polyamory on Friday. Today we're talking about cousin love. Yeah. Are you listen as someone from the south as someone who has been to Kentucky and has been into I went on a mission trip into the <laughs> to Kentucky it because it was in the yeah, uh, the, the corridor Tennessee Virginia Kentucky Oh yeah yeah it's the corridor and if you never you know if you've heard the Randy Travis song 
uh, hollers are pretty deep. And the further you go into the holler, the less cell phone service you get. Sometimes I have to pipe the sunshine in. Correct. It gets dark. And um, there are, I mean, it, it's an it's an interesting place. Um, the idea being that uh, this, this uh, representative, Nick Wilson, a Kentucky state legislator in 2018, proposed a bill that would remove first cousin from the list of incestuous family relations. Um, he said the omission was a mistake, but obviously there's a significant stereotype when it comes to uh, the Appalachian region. And in 2021, the National Society of Genetic Counselors published updated guidelines. Um, the risk to offspring is greater, but the increase is quite small. Many other couples face higher risk of genetic complications, and those unions are not banned. Our generation has way too much time on their hands and no real wisdom to go from it. Now, what's interesting is this person who writes this article, uh, I don't have the author here in front of me, but this person who writes this article goes on that throughout Western history, attitudes about, um, I can't pronounce the type of marriages these are, but throughout the Western history, attitudes about cousin marriages have varied. This person then says, the Bible does not directly ban sexual relations between cousins. How else would all of mankind have descended from Adam and Eve? Do we want to do we want to bring up that do we want to bring up that they didn't have children until after the fall? Do we want to bring that up? Anyway, the Roman Catholic Church did later prohibit first cousins from marrying, though exceptions were made for a fee. Martin Luther, the father of Protestantism, objected to such payments. So did many Protestant denominations allowing the marriages free of charge. Um as is clear from novels such as Mansfield Park and Wuthering Heights, the people of Georgian and Victorian England were not too squeamish about those relationships. Queen Victoria was married to her first cousin, as were both Albert Einstein and Edgar Allan Poe. In some cultures, marriage between close family members is encouraged today. It secures wealth and reinforces social connections. It might even make marriages easier on the optimistic assumption that the in-laws are more likely to get along. In some areas of the world, mainly Pakistan and the Middle East, nearly half of all marriages are between close relations. No European country bans marriages between first cousins. There are limits to the amount of intermarriage that is healthy, though. How about this? Charles Darwin, the father of evolutionary biology, married his first cousin in 1839. The Darwins had ten children, three of them died during childbirth, and three of his surviving children never had any offspring. Some historians surmise that the children suffered from genetic abnormalities, uh, but the families of Darwin and his wife had a long history of intermarriages. Yet, despite the fairly low genetic risk for most couples, the ick factor prevails in Western culture. The family dynamics can be difficult to explain to others, and many of these couples choose to keep quiet. For this reason, it is difficult to know how many of these couples actually exist in America. Despite the fact that first-cousin marriages are pretty low risk for offspring— 25 states do not allow first cousins to marry. In six states, it is legal to marry a first cousin, but with caveats. If one person is unable to reproduce or elderly, for example. However, if Mr. Wilson's experience in Kentucky is indicative of the public's reaction, it will be a long time before laws banning these types of marriages are stricken from the books. Listen, man. What's the point of that article? What's the point? Are we, are we, what's the point of that? Are we opening cousin love back up or... I think we are. I, I don't get it. I, now, as somebody who has, who reads the scriptures and who is currently matriculating their way through the book of Leviticus, we appreciate your prayers. Um, I mean, the book of Genesis is filled with it. I mean, Leah and Rachel were, in fact, Jacob's cousins. I mean, they were from the family of Abraham and... Um, Ultimately, the family of Nahor. So, but yeah. yeah. So, let me explain this the best way I can. Ken Ham does a lot better job with it because this question has been asked of answers in Genesis multiple times. Ken Ham has covered it. You know, yeah. Um, uh, Cain, who did Cain marry? Right. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and then we all hit reset after the flood. And then we go all over again with Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah. And that's what happens then. So, um, the. The way to answer this is post-Diluvian and post-fall. Well, let's start with post-fall. 
after the fall, uh, in, entropy begins, decay begins. Yes, we, we are now, and I'm going to quickly make a point here, that before the fall, everything is, it, uh, think of a river of life. Life just gives birth to more life, nothing decays, nothing goes away. But after the fall, we are now slow, like a gravitational pull. So how, how, does, how do things change? How does entropy and decay wreak havoc on human and, and mankind? Well, you can't catch, you can't catch health. Well, so here's how it works. It's through mutation. And, you know, some would say this is progressive evolution. The answer is no. It's no. it's entropy and decay in action on the human body. Mm-hmm. So as people uh, continue to have children, mm-hmm. mutations occur. Correct. We start to look different, you know, act different, smell different, disease, things like that. It, it's not... Um, it's not evolutionary it's really devolutionary it's devolving over time you know things don't wind up they wind down and so the issue we have is early on in mankind this is what leads me to be a young young earth person um the exact age uh, we can get into at a later time (laughs) what we have is early on less entropy and decay less mutation and fewer people in the pool. Mm-hmm. But, bro, you got dating apps. Yep. You got church. You got people. And and the other thing to think through here is that up until about 50 years ago, a majority of people on the planet never moved further than 10 to 20 miles away from their original birthplace. They stayed. Modern transportation... And that hockey stick of curve change, the the just rapid change of, of airplane, planes, trains, and automobiles has made it very easy for people to go away, to get away from their family, to to explore the world, to establish new routes, whatever. And they meet new people, and it's less likely that they're cousins. Now, right. at the end of the day, because we're all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve or uh, Noah and his three sons, mm-hmm. either way you look at it, in some way we're all quote-unquote related. The further away we get from biological blood relation, the le- least likely we are, less likely we are to experience entropy and decay in, in procreation through mutation. That's as untechnical and South Carolina... South Carolinian as I can make it It, because it's far more technical. And let's just say this, the further away we get from being brothers, sisters, cousins, um, and direct blood relation, the better because of entropy and decay and how they've wreaked havoc on mankind over the last mm, several thousand years. Right. So that's, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell why you don't marry your cousin. And, you know, as if you needed that today. I mean, you can you can get a yeah yeah. Never mind. I was going to say you know there are certain places that it it might be a little easier to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I hear West Virginia is almost heaven, um, and Alabama's well. where you know sweet home is. Uh, but that's also where they invented the toothbrush. You know why? Because anywhere else it would have been called a teeth brush. Well done. Wow. Mm. We've descended into that. Do you hear all that laughter? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Another thing for those for of you, you from Alabama, I'm sorry. Another Just, thing for you. Um, are you, you, you've seen Lord of the Rings? Uh, uh, yeah, several of them How in the theater. Um, How many times have you watched when the they're like, When they do that you know, marathon, I'll, I'll camp out for a oh, little bit. Oh, you don't bit. have them? You don't own them? No. Uh, we own them. No. I, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien? I didn't watch Lord of the Rings. Until after I got married, so it was probably late 2020. Bro, one when of my I watched first it. dates in high school was to the movies to watch the second one. It just didn't seem like it would interest me, and then I watched it, and now I could watch it probably once every couple of months and be perfectly fine. Um, but there's a problem in Italy, according to <laughs> that sounds like the beginning of a bad movie. There's a problem in Italy, according to now again. You remember Giorgia Maloney is the 
Prime Minister of Italy. And this article, also from Newsweek, says Italy's culture minister uh, extols Tolkien as a staunch Catholic who exalted the value of tradition and of the community to which one belongs, a true conservative. Now, attendance was sparse when I visited this place on a chilly weekday afternoon in January, yet the woman at the ticket office said the turnout had been pretty good. But this this exhibition hardly lived up to the ramitas with which it was unveiled. There were film clips and photos of Tolkien, illustrations for his books in which heroes slay dragons and grapple with orcs and addition of and editions of his works in a bewildering assortment of languages. There were also costumes and posters from Peter Jackson's film adaptations of The Lord of the Rings and a clip in which the wizard Gandalf battles the ghastly Balrog, one of the best scenes. There was even a gaudily decorated Tolkien-themed pinball machine. Maloney pronounced it all as, quote, very beautiful. This wasn't the first time the Prime Minister had professed her admiration for Tolkien on the public stage. Last year, Maloney received an award from a right-wing think tank in London and quoted one of the orc slayers of the Lord of the Rings. Quote, I do not love the bright sword for its sharp edge, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I only love that which I defend. Hear, hear. A year earlier, the actor who dubbed Aragorn in the Italian version of the Lord of the Rings appeared at a rally that closed Maloney's election campaign. He walked on stage and declared, Sons of Rohan, my brothers, people of Rome, the day of defeat may come, but it is not this day. Well, that's cool. Now, the argument here uh, this author is... Uh, going for is that Tolkien, however, is one of only one of a strange collection of cultural touchstones held in esteem by Maloney and her party, which dominates Italy's governing coalition. What they have in common, though, is fantasy. So, again, J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, is for Christians what many believe Harry Potter to be. Uh, I have seen both and like both. The the issue here is that apparently, if you like Tolkien, if you like Lord of the Rings, if you believe that Tolkien's themes in Lord of the Rings apply to life and can apply to life, well, then you're living in a fantasy world. You know, not like men pretending to be women, but in a fantasy world where that's not real life. That's not... Why do you think that there's some overarching evil that must be defeated? This is the mark of postmodernism. Postmodernism, in and of itself, believes in individual truths that prove the non existence of a meta narrative. A meta narrative being that from the beginning of time, when God created the heavens and the earth until the end of time on this earth as we know it, there's this meta-narrative playing out that it's God's world and his design and his story, right? And and we've kitched that a little bit, but it's true. It's the rejection of the meta-narrative and that each person has their own truth. And so the idea that you are fighting, that they're, that they're it, and, and that actually works to disprove the very belief and the very understanding of there being an actual Satan. Mm. Because because if if there's not a meta-narrative that's arcing toward the good, then there can't be a meta-narrative arcing toward the bad or the evil or the opposite of the good. So because you reject the meta-narrative, you not only reject God, but you reject the enemy of God, but... In, in rejecting the existence of the enemy of God, you actually welcome that. And so this idea being that if we were to, you know, put on the breastplate of righteousness and have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and Which the shoes... All know, poetic. All poetic. It's all not poetic. necessarily fantasy. It's, but not, it's not fantasy at all. But it plays into the same thing, that at some point when your way of life is threatened, are you willing to fight? And this is mm-hmm. not saying that Christians must take up arms. I'm not, I'm not calling for that, although I'm sure some of you listening will take it that way. What I'm saying is, 
is that the simple idea now that someone has that there is an overarching evil that needs to be fought against is fantasy, purely based on conjecture, is a mark of our time. And to Mitch, Mitch, to your point in our previous story, we are devolving further and further into postmodernism. We don't use that term much anymore where we're, we're devolving more and more into entropy, and things will continue to, to decay. There's no question about that. But perhaps instead of just, as Christians, instead of just abiding and, and wanting to abide, and I just need to, I just need to rest, and I, I just need to... Maybe it's time that we keep abiding, but at the same point also try to be, I don't know, fruitful, and actually do something. There's rhythms of rest and war. And this is a spiritual battle, you know, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of your secular friends, those of you that are questioning your own belief system right now are thinking, oh, here we go with this, you know, spiritualized nonsense again. It's reality. There's a real enemy. There's a real hero. And the question we have to ask ourselves is whether you believe it's fantastic or not, what are we going to do about what the real enemy is trying to do? To, to do see an email that's coming out later today about that and how you can be a part of the real solution to the problem by not abandoning the battlefield by not abandoning the arena um you know it's easy my mind immediately goes to the words of teddy roosevelt who wrote the man in the arena uh, it's easy to from the sidelines or from the stands of the stadium throw tomatoes or barbs or insults at the person on the field but friends it's time whether once again it's political ideological moral religious they all matter and they're Mm -hmm. all significant and there really is no such thing as a political we've said this so many times there really is no such thing as a political issue they're all religious moral right uh faith issues mm-hmm. that we must all grapple with. And and just as we move from this to our next topic, I will say that of the three, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, Return of the King's the best. I like the second one. The Battle of Helm's Deep just does it to me every time because yeah. it's a bibl- it's that biblical reference of, uh, is it Elijah or Elisha? I can't remember when the servant comes to him and says Elisha Elisha and we are surrounded and we're in trouble sure we are we are about to be overrun just look he says look to the hills just open his eyes yeah. yeah that's one of my favorite stories in scripture yeah and here here comes the angel army of the mm-hmm. lord you know yeah. of course Chris Tomlin writes a song but before right. that <laughs> I think right before Chris Tomlin writes a song um I mean our, our, all fr- of our friend Gandalf our friend Gandalf rides down that hill <laughs> With all the, yeah. uh, just obliterates all the orcs. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. All right. So, and by the way, the girl that I went to the movie with, she's not my wife. Oh, that's unfortunate. Spoiler alert. No, well, it's, it's not unfortunate. It's, it's a good it's, thing. It's actually a great thing. It's a good thing. Does your wife like Lord of the Rings? <laughs> not really. Uh, yeah. Uh, really. Well, can't win them all. Yeah. The 2024 Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey has been released. And we, we bring that up because it is, in fact, President's Day. Today, we celebrate on. On one day, the birthdays of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. I want to also note that Ronald Reagan was born on the 6th of February. So wow. We got three presidents in February. Hovering right over top of it. Correct. 525 respondents were invited to participate. 154 usable responses were received. <laughs> uh, recent uh, The respondents included current and recent members of the President's and Executive Politics section of the American Political Science Association which is the foremost organization of social science experts. So this is going to be a real treat. So I will give you their rankings of presidents, and then we'll give you ours all right, all off right. the top so of our we've head. Had 46, we've had 45. 45 presidents. We've had 45 presidents, even though we're all number 46. That's right, because Cleveland – is it Cleveland? Cleveland twice. Twice. 45th president? Uh, you have the bottom? Bottom one, yep. Bottom one. And I have changes. The last time this was given was in 2018. I'm going to guess it's either Franklin Pierce, Millard Fillmore, um, James Buchanan, somewhere in there. We'll go bottom to top. Okay. This is 45 through 40. Okay. Um, 
By the way, they ranked them real quick. I just want to give you this, that they ranked them on a scale of 0 to 100, 0 being failure, 50 being average, and 100 being great. They then averaged the ratings for each one and ranked them uh, highest to lowest or lowest to highest, depending, uh, with a score of 10.92. Donald Trump is number 45. (laughs) That's great. He moves down one. He moves down one. All right, so can we just go ahead and discard this piece of garbage? Yeah, we we could. There's no way you can say. Get ready. It gets worse. James Buchanan is number 44. Uh Johnson, is that Lyndon Baines? No, probably Andrew. Probably Andrew Johnson. Uh, Franklin Pierce. Yep, 13. uh, William Henry Harrison. And uh, Warren G. Harding. William 40. Henry Harrison, man, didn't even get a shake. I know. He's, he's like, up one, though. He moved up a slot. <laughs> he's like, uh, if you'd have just put the jacket on, you'd he be 32. Sneezed, he sneezed once. Uh, 39 through 29. Millard Fillmore. Yes. Uh, Taylor is 38. Ooh, that's a t- Tyler is 37. Herbert Hoover, 36. Yeah, it throws us in. Richard Nixon comes in at 35. All right, I'm not a crook. Calvin Coolidge is 34. Uh, Cal. Arthur is 33. Chester A. G.W. G- George W. Bush is 30. 32. Ow, no, come on. Uh, Benjamin Harrison Just is a, 31. Yeah, and, and old Ben's it. I'm assuming that's Benjamin Harrison and not it, William Henry. No, you've I'm already done William, William Henry. Henry. Well, I don't know. I'm only working on last names. So <laughs> the man who led... The the leader who, who took us through 9-11... Yes. Is, and... Is the thirty second? Yep. On the list. Yep. Mm, okay. Yep. It, it, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I'm 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 noticing a trend. You're here. noticing a trend. We'll continue. Um, where am I at? Oh, Garfield is thirty. Yeah. And Rutherford B. Hayes is twenty nine. By the way, James short. Garfield is up five spots from the last poll. Pretty interesting Garfield, there. All right. Cut short. Twenty eight through twenty five. Martin Van Buren. Saw lightning speed railroad system. Gerald Ford at twenty seven. His accidency. Gerald Ford Not is because ranked he ahead was of accident Nixon. prone because he found his way into the office. You know, Grover Cleveland at twenty six. James K. Polk at twenty five. <laughs> William McKinley at twenty four has a mountain. William Howard Taft at twenty three had a special bathtub and the only, uh, the very first president throughout the. First pitch of the World Series. J- Jimmy Carter's 22. Ahead of the man who led us through 9 11. Uh, Andrew Jackson is 21. Oh, he's hickory. down He's down three from his spot of number 18 in 2018. And in 2018, he was number 18, and that was down from number six in 2015. Did, did they dig up something that led to a loss of street cred? I don't know. John AJ. All right, now we got top 20. Oh, John Quincy Adams sits at number 20. Not a very consequential president, but, I, I mean, a, an amazing man. I, I, That's fair. He's in my top five, but... George Herbert Walker Bush, number 19. Down four spots but, from 2015. But he... If you had to show me... Are we saying best or most consequential? They're saying... This is based on... Again, I want to I want to make this point. Uh, zero is a failure. Fifty is average. A hundred is the greatest president. On the average, George Herbert Walker Bush got fifty eight point five four. And go back so to William William McKinley is the first person on the twenty twenty four rating to be over fifty percent. And what was uh, G G W Bush forty three forty point four three? So which is interesting. His dad is twelve points higher. Yes, and only served one term. I mean, the one thing he ran on was no new taxes, and then he taxed them. Yes. I mean, he did lead us through the, the first Gulf War, the Persian sure. Gulf War. Sure. He, thousand points of light. Yeah. All right. You're still speechless. I'm not even done yet. Wow. Monroe comes in at 18. Ulysses S. Grant is number 17. That's fair. At a 60.93. He's up nine points he's he's up nine spots since he's really the one that does lead america through reconstruction this person is number this president is number 16 in this ranking in this rating down seven spots from 2018 if you, so in 2018 he was number nine if you say 
who I think you're going to say I might just take a walk. Ronald Reagan is number 16. Okay, that's 16. not who I thought. What bothers me is who's ranked ahead of him. So think a about lot of who's people ahead that, of him. But yeah, Get ready. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson is 15th. Garbage. Hot. Joe Biden garbage. Is, Joe Biden is 14th. How can you even... He's not even through his first term. Joe Biden comes in it. Joe Biden is ranked higher than More Ronald successful. Reagan. Andrew Jackson. Jimmy Carter. Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford had a more successful presidency than Joe Biden. Buddy, pardoned Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon has half of the rating that Joe Biden has. Reestablished relationship with China. Oh, my God. John Adams is 13th. Should be higher. William Jefferson Clinton is 12th. Should be much lower. James Madison is 11th. At a 67.16. Yeah, he, he challenges... Jack, yeah. Jack Kennedy is 10. What are we doing? What are we actually doing? How is JFK a we're top not, 10 president? We're nonpartisan, so I'm not going to say what this is. This is partisan Lyndon, hackery. Lyndon Baines Johnson is ninth. One Destruction accom- of the family. Yeah, His one accomplishment is just that. The Nin- Great Society. 1964. Dwight D. Eisenhower is eight. Should be number one. He's only off of number seven by point zero seven. And who is he trailing? Barack Obama is number seven. Hope change. Harry Truman is sixth at seventy five point three four. He ended fortitude the, fortitude to drop the bombs. Yeah, the buck stops here. Yeah. I get it. He also defeated Dewey Haberdasher uh, from Missouri. Yep. Unbelievable. Thomas Jefferson, despite his racism, is number five. Oh, Tommy J's number five. I was just he's talking, off of yeah, he's wow. off of number four by point zero five. Number four, FDR. No, nope. he's got FDR. The patron saint of all liberals is number one. Um, number four, Teddy Roosevelt. Mm, man, no that's, move. That's no move since twenty fifteen. That's probably a solid spot. Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt have not moved from four and five since this. So number three is George, George Washington. Washington. He's down one. Hold on. He flip flopped with FDR. Who have we not said? FDR's number one. Uh, number so two. you're saying he's number two? Yep. And oh, honest Abe. Abe Lincoln is yeah. number one with yeah. a 93.87%. Now, this is lib- leftist hackery. <laughs> um, I will tell you this. I don't, I don't have reason to write these five names down. I just, as I'm thinking through American history today and as I'm thinking through presidents today, by the way, there are, there are only a handful of living presidents remaining. Uh, that would be or former presidents Carter. Pardon, pardon me from 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 Oldest. back to front would be Carter, Clinton, W. Bush, Barack, Donald, and Joe. Yeah. Um. So there are only what five? The only did two, I name, did I name five? Yeah. Six. Six. There's six. The two that have passed away in between there: are Ronald Reagan and George H. W. Bush. Gerald Ford was, was before after Reagan. Right, but, but in 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 succession of presidency, he was yes, before correct, Carter. Correct, 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 correct. So yes. Carter is the oldest living by a long shot, the oh, oldest living president, not far ahead of Joe Biden. Anyway, the point the point I'm making is there aren't many living presidents left, and I think in our in our hyper partisan our hyper division that we currently have in America, um, we've lost respect for the office. For a multitude lost, of reasons, we've lost respect for the office, and it's whether whether it's um, whether it's by controversy and scandal, or whether it's by ineptitude in it. Some of it self-imposed. We've lost we've lost respect for the office. However, however, we are encouraged, we are commanded in Scripture as Christians to pray for those in authority, and it burdens me. And it um, it not only burdens me, it saddens me when you talk to Christians and they say, "Well, I don't. I'm not going to pray for President Biden." Or uh, I think that's an abdic or President yeah. Trump. I think that's an abdication of your role as a Christian to pray for those in authority. the 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 section of Scripture in First Peter where Peter admonishes Christians to do this is written to Christians. In Rome, just before Nero takes over, 
when they were getting dipped in oil yeah. and lit on fire after being put on sticks yeah. to light his parties. Yeah. Christians today are not facing that level of persecution. Right. I remember when a, uh, President Obama was the president, and I pastored at the time. I ain't praying for him. And I, Shame on you. You have to. Shame on you. It's, it, it's, it's praying even for if leaders. You, even if you diametrically, or if you're diametrically opposed or absolutely disagree with him. That's even more reason. Pray for his, uh, and you don't believe he's a believer. Pray for his salvation. Pray for his family. Pray for his wife and children. Pray, I mean, pray for, pray for him as a human being. Because he's an image bearer. Image bearer. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I you, don't know. You wrote some down? I wrote some down. Um, this is in no particular order. I think it's five that we... We know that Reagan's your number one. I don't have Reagan on this list. What? I don't have Reagan on this list. So are these are tops? These are just five that I think we need to... Um, I think some of them we often forget. Um, they're spread across American history. Uh, Richard Nixon, Richard M. Nixon is... Uh, one of them on my list. I, I, I think we've mis- long misunderstood his presidency. If it's not for Watergate, he would be considered one of the most consequential presidents. Yes, I, I agree. Mean, in, in American, he's the only president, correct me if I'm wrong, he's the only president to resign from office, which is consequential. It's, it's consequential. Um, but he was later, most of that Watergate stuff was later proven to, you know. He knew about a good bit of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he could borrow from Truman. The buck stops here. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, you know, all that all that happens with without him, but he could possibly stop. Um, but once again, he reestablish, reestablishes relationship with China. Sure. He does a lot, a lot early on to uh, weed out the threats of communism inside the government, you know, with shades of McCarthyism, um, but not quite to the extent that McCarthy took it. Um, he's a, he's a consequential president and I think he shaped a lot of what we mm-hmm. knew about late 20th century presidency. Right. So I've got James Madison at number four, one of the fathers of the constitution, the father of the constitution. And I believe, I, I believe that he had a, his presidency was, if you look back at the Madisonian doctrine and, yes. and, and, and an impactful presidency, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, another the most consequential president of that era no doubt about it. even and and i bar i i would argue far more consequential mm, even more consequential maybe not far more than fdr uh in a different way um yeah but the who he is who theodore roosevelt is i mean he's the american lion he embodied if you were to say if if you were to ask an artist or if you were to type into AI, give me the American president, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt. Spectacles yeah. and all. Dwight D. Eisenhower is another one that I think we often forget about. I, I've never forgotten Ike. More, more, I think more remembered for his uh, military career yes. than his presidency. He's he's so influential and consequential in American history. Once again, you know he's he staves off the military industrial complex. He br- he brings America to a sense of uh, credibility again on the world. St- not credibility on the world stage. I mean, we were the world superpower at that time, but he he advances beyond where Russia uh, and China would become. He takes us to a sense of national pride again like we hadn't felt in a while. Mm-hmm. And and he restores a sense of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here, patriotism uh, drenched in a respect for who God is and what God gave us in this country. And then obviously George Washington, being the first president of the United States, uh, did what presidents are supposed to do, serve and then go away. The the he he admired the um, he admired Cincinnatus, and in fact, Cincinnati, Ohio, is named after George Washington because Cincinnatus was the statesman. He was a farmer, mm-hmm. and he went and served the the state of Rome, and then he went back and became a farmer again. And right. that's exactly what George and and the thing that we don't really understand and i don't want to elongate this but i think it's important for people to know sure is that george washington's presidency was fraught with challenges 
ultimately a controversy. It, um, a friend of ours, Dr. Tony Beam, and I were talking the other day about some of the lesser-known controversies uh, involving Alexander Hamilton and James Madison yep. during the uh, very first presidency. And and all this is swirling because no one's ever been here before. He knows, and the people know, we don't want or need a king, and yet the people want him to be the king. They want him to assume the role of absolute monarch, monarchical, I don't know the right word there, a monarchy and authority. And what he says is, no, I'm not going to do that. And some would even argue that um, he was diplomatic to a fault, mm. that he backed away from some of those controversies like the one between Hamilton um, and and Madison and the one between uh, two of his other cabinet members, his vice president, who he didn't choose as his vice president, it was this guy that got the second most votes, Adams, and who'd be the third president, and his secretary of state, G- Thomas Jefferson. Right. Those two, I mean, they they hated each other. Uh, they hated each other's guts until the very end. Of course, we know that. I believe it's Adams' very last words are Jefferson lives. Right. They died on the same day, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. Right. But uh, one thing is for sure, Justin, and you said this early uh, during this hot garbage dumpster fire list that we just read through. Mm-hmm. That is that the office of the presidency, whether self-imposed or because the people have lost uh, an understanding of what it is, have uh, we don't have the same respect for it. And I think there must be a re- restoration of respect to the office. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree with, Bi- uh, pre- let me say it correctly, President Biden, President Trump, President Obama, President Bush, you know, President um, Franklin Pierce. Right. We are to pray for our leaders, mm-hmm. and there's a certain level of respect that must come when we... Reference when we regard those leaders. When it comes to one, a couple more things on this list. When it comes to which president should join presidents Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Teddy on Mount ooh, Rushmore, ooh. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt came again, uh, came in first again by a wide margin of sixty-five point four percent. Over the next person, yes. Wow, who was well? Second? He gained sixty-five point four percent. Barack Obama came in second with eleven percent, uh, and then there was a three-way tie behind them at four percent each for JFK, Dwight Eisenhower, and James Madison. And if you don't put Teddy on that list, Teddy's the one that. Well, Teddy's on the Teddy's on Mount Rushmore already. Right. The point would be who should be next. Yeah. Yeah. I get. Okay. I get it. Okay. Now, I really quickly want to get into these splits here because this is interesting. Uh, Conservative-liberal discrepancies on presidents. We'll run through them. Uh, For Washington, conservatives had him at one. Liberals had him at three. I'm looking for big differences here. They actually agree on Monroe, uh, 17 for each. Um, Let's see. Andrew Jackson, 18th, uh, was the average rank for conservatives, 22 for liberals. I'm looking for big differences here. Go to Clinton, who was in the top 20. Clinton? Wasn't he? Yeah, Clinton, uh, an average ranking of 10 by conservatives and 12 by liberals. Um, okay. Go to Barack Obama, who was in the top 10. Uh, average of 13th for conservatives and 6 for liberals. Wow. Um, w, go back to 32. 19. Uh, D- George W. George W., uh, 19th for conservatives, 33rd for liberals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for other, maybe Woodrow Wilson might give us a little bit. Yeah. Conservatives average of 15th, Woodrow Wilson and liberals an average of 16th. They just don't know who he is. I don't think we, I don't think these are actual conservatives. They're, I think they're, yeah. I think they're, they're the Republicons, o- but the they're O-Cons. not, they're not conservatives. That's for sure. Um, I'm looking for who liberals ranked as number one. Abraham Lincoln, uh, was the average, the average rank for him was number one. In fact, his across the board, two, one, one, two, one, one. Pretty easy there. So, Again, as you celebrate President's Day and you don't have to check the mail today, we hope you uh, take a second to think back on the history of, of this great country and the highest office uh, in our land. That's what we want you to do, and we want you to enjoy this day. On Wednesday, make sure you tune in because it's going to be all marijuana. Special guests all the coming time. on the show. We'll tell you a little bit more about them. Yeah, a, representative, a current representative from the state of South Carolina will be joining us on the program, and we will 
chat with them about uh, some legislation that has made its way over to the House of Representatives, and we hope you join us there. You can do that on our audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it. Give us a five-star rating and review. Sign up for our email newsletter, palmettofamily.org. On the website, you can also listen to all of our shows and catch up on any that you missed, and we thank you for doing that with us and making us the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. For Mitch Prosser, I'm Justin Hall. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.